We'll multiply Lake Norman. 1015 service. How are we doing today? All right. Listen, um, man, can I, can I commend everyone in the room uh, for showing up and showing out? Listen, I know, how many of you, be honest with me, how many of you woke up this morning and you kind of peeked out the blinds and then you looked, at, you looked at the weather app on your phone and you went, ugh, I don't, I don't know about this one. How many of you was it a struggle to get here? But you have your coffee in hand and you're here. I appreciate that. The, the one person that's honest. Uh, I mean, if I'm being honest as the pastor, I'm like, oh, for real? Like, really, today? Like, where's the rain jacket? You got your coffee back there? I like it. I like it, James. Well, hey, there's a couple things I got to kick off before uh, we get going into the message. A few things I want to let you in on. And the first one is this. We have our group, group launch next week, January the 29th. Man, that's something that we're excited about. Um, this is what we say here at this church. Do what you love with people that you love. Uh, we have all types of groups that happen at this church. Man, there's going to be tables. There's going to be booths. Everyone's going to kind of be out at their groups. But what I know is this. We're not meant or created to go through life alone. And, and for some reason, people show up at a church and they say things along the lines of, well, I never got plugged into that church. Or I never found community in that church. And my question back to them is very simple. Hey, did you ever get involved in a group? Hey, hey did you ever serve? Because we're quick to make, I'm not preaching right now. This is just like a soapbox moment. But, but we're quick to like make excuses of why we didn't get plugged into a church because someone didn't come to reach out to us. But we didn't do our work or our job to kind of step in to that community. So my challenge to everyone in the room is to sign up for a group. Next thing that we have coming up is our volunteer training. Pastor Manny's going to be leading that. Uh, kind of stepping into a new rhythm and, and a new season. We're going to be doing one volunteer training a month. And, and this one's going to be on February 5th. It's going to be right after church. And maybe you're sitting in the room, you're like, hey, who is, it, who is this for? Well, the first group that it's for is for people that are already serving. Man, we want to train you. We want to equip you. And, and the next group of people, man, it's for the individuals who are considering serve, serving in the church. Man, if you've ever thought about, hey, what areas can I serve in? This is a great opportunity for you to show up and kind of learn of all the opportunities uh, that we have going on. But it's also for a third group. It's for the people in the room who are avo avoiding serving in the room. So if you're the people that are laughing, that's probably you. You've probably been avoiding serving. Uh, but man, step in and serve. We have about 40 new opportunities that we need to feel, uh, feel, feel. We don't need to feel them. We need to fill them. <laughs> so uh, but we have 15 opportunities in kids' church, uh, in the kids' ministry. We have about 15 opportunities on our setup and teardown team, about five opportunities on our hospitality team. For our prayer team, there's no limit to that. Uh, man, we're a church that believes in the power of prayer, uh, so we have plenty of opportunities for that. A uh, couple uh, opportunities for our media team, and our worship team will also be holding tryouts, so uh, auditions and tryouts. So that's kind of the information that I needed to give you guys today, and and I know, uh, Pastor Keith, man, you preached a fantastic message uh, this past week. Can I remind you uh, that when you're traveling, uh, that's okay. Just plug in online. Last week I was out of town. I was down in Florida with Samaritan's Feet. But I, I logged in online, and, and Pastor Keith, man, gave us a challenge. But before I get to that, I kind of need to let you know what happened uh, last weekend. So Jenna and myself with a, a group of people had the opportunity to go down to Florida and, and to serve with Samaritan's Feet. And what, what does that really look like? It looks like sitting across a chair with somebody and uh, taking their shoes off, washing their feet, giving them a new pair of shoes, but also telling them about the hope that Jesus brings in their life. 
And, and Jenna, the first little girl that she got, her name was Cherish, and, and Cherish sat down in the chair in front of Jenna, and you could tell she was a little nervous. She was a little embarrassed. She really didn't want to take her shoes off, so Jenna kind of helped her take her shoes off. I think she was, was she four or five? Four, four or five. She was like four or five. Um, the man took her socks and shoes off and, and placed them in the water, and Jenna began to wash her feet. And, and the thing that broke my heart about every person or every foot that was washed was, was how dirty the water was after you changed it out. And we don't think about that. Sometimes we take that kind of stuff for granted, but, but washing individuals' feet and, and there's stuff in the water and it's dark and it's murky and it's like, man, they, they don't have the opportunity for a new pair of shoes, let alone the opportunity just to take a, a bath at home and to, to make sure they're clean. So what Samaritan's Feet as an organization does is they go into these areas and these locations, and yes, they give the new pair of shoes, yes, we wash feet, but, but more importantly, we share about the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus, and we have an opportunity to pray over those individuals. I didn't know this uh, until a few weeks ago, but, but Samaritan's Feet, their, their global office is actually right down the road in Charlotte. So meeting with the, the founder, uh, Manny, and his team and his wife, man, we as a church, there's two things that we've committed to doing. One, we've committed to putting our money where our mouth is, and we've committed to giving $10,000 as a church this year to Samaritan's Feet. Not only that, that's something to clap for. Um, not only that, though, we've committed to being part of their organization and distribution uh, efforts in our local area. So again, church, I, I say it all the time, we're not just going to talk about being involved in the local community, we're going to be about it. Uh, so you'll be hearing some more information on how we can help serve with them, but scripture is very clear. Matthew chapter 25 tells us that we're supposed to take care of people, that we're supposed to take care of the widow, we're supposed to take care of the orphan, we're supposed to take care of those in need. However, Matthew chapter 28 also tells us that we're supposed to baptize in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Not only are we called to meet needs, but we're called to tell people about Jesus. And that's why I love partnering with organizations like Samaritan's Feet, because they meet a practical need, but then they share the hope that Jesus can bring. That's not even what I'm preaching on this morning. That was just like, that's an asterisk. That was, that was extra. Okay, Thank you for laughing, Corey, um, and Corey alone. I know that it's raining outside. I know it's muggy and a little dark and cold and all that. But listen, I need some interaction, all right? I do not do well sitting up here if you don't, or standing up here if you don't interact with me, okay? So at least like when I look at you, give me a courtesy smile or something like nod your head. Let me know that you're not sitting there asleep with your eyes open, okay? Deal? Can we agree? All right. I thank you. Thank you, Darren. Thank you. Well, here we go, man. We're stepping into week three of our altered series. And uh, we established in week one that there's seven different altars that everyone needs in their life. In week one, we talked about the altar of prayer. And if you remember, I had my ferro rod. It's still in my truck. I travel around with it just in case I need to light a fire somewhere. Uh, but there you go. You're interacting. I like that. But I lit this fire on stage. The sprinklers didn't go off. Thank the Lord. The building's still standing, so we're all good. But the purpose of that ferro rod was to remind us and encourage us that we're all called to carry our own fire. We're all called to have our own personal relationship with Jesus. Listen, the pastor can't carry your fire. The church itself can't carry your fire. Your spouse can't carry your fire. Your kids can't carry your fire. Your group that you're involved in can't carry your fire. The only person that's responsible for carrying your fire is yourself. And we understand this out of week one, that it's actually the difference between life and death. 
It's actually the difference between living wide awake to the love of God and fully alive to your purpose or living without a purpose and living as if you're lost. Week two, last week, Pastor Keith talked about the altar of presence. And he asked this question, how do you take responsibility and usher in the presence of God in your life? I told you I was watching from my phone as we were traveling. And I wrote these notes down in my journal because when you're listening to a sermon, it's good to to take notes. All right? Y'all got it? All right, I appreciate you. Uh, But it's good to take notes. But I wrote this down in my journal. I wrote this down. Presence takes proximity. And the altar of presence and the altar of prayer actually feed off of each other. And I have to ask you this question today. Are you living in proximity with prayer that's ushering you into the presence of God or not? Because we either live in proximity with Jesus or we don't. That's why a couple weeks ago we stepped into our 21 days of prayer and fasting. And by the way, listen, we're, we're 14 days in. There's a group of people in the room, you've been going strong for 14 days. There's another group of people in the room, you started day two, got a little shaky, day three, you're like, I don't know what I'm doing, by day four you stopped. And here's the deal, that's okay. Because we're not trying to be legalistic about this thing. We're trying to usher people into the presence of God. And instead of beating yourself up of, I only made it two or three days, what if? I mean, what if? What if we took the next seven days, starting tomorrow through next Sunday, and you committed to prayer and fasting for seven days? Because I think the problem with Christ followers is this. We like to beat ourselves down more than, than Christ is beating us down. Can I remind you that Christ isn't beating you down? He's trying to lift you up. Regardless of what you're, and this isn't some like prosperity gospel kind of nonsense. What I'm saying is God is there to pick you up. Now you have to do your part, but he's there for you to push you forward to who he's calling you to be. So what if, what if we took the next seven days to fully step into the presence of God? Stepping into week three, we're going to talk about the altar of generations. Now, if you remember, we've talked about this before. Last year, we did an entire series on generations. And there were three major components to a fire that, that we mentioned and kind of correlated as an illustration uh, to the sermon. And, and the illustration was this, there's the coal, there's the fuel, and there's the new wood. Like, all right, pastor, remind me, refresh my memory. What, what does all that mean? The coal inside of a church is anyone that's 55 and older. You're that seasoned community in the room. You like how I did that? You're the seasoned community in the room. But you have stories that you've walked through that will encourage and empower someone else. There's things that you have gone through in your life that if and when you share them, they will set other people up, that younger generation up for success. And then that next layer was the fuel, anyone in the room between the ages of 30 and 55. Man, you're, you're, that, you're that fuel, you're what's keeping everything going. We need that community to serve. We need that community to lead the way. We need that community to step up and take their rightful spot. But we also have the new wood. And we understand that the new wood is anyone under the age of 30. And we know this, that if you don't put new fuel or new wood onto a fire, inevitably what will happen? It goes out. You have to constantly have new wood. That's why generations matter. The, the genera- my, my daughter's generation isn't the church of tomorrow, it's the church of today. And if we're not focusing on the next generation, then inevitably we'll eventually burn out. 
And I don't think Jesus has created the concept of church and community to burn out. No, he's created it to expand the kingdom of God that we may continue to take land. But we can't continue to take land unless we do our part. And our part is continually working on the generational fire. I want to pick up this story in Joshua chapter 4, starting in verse 19. You can open your Bibles or follow along on the screen. And it reads like this, the people crossed over the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month. And then they camped at Gilgal, just east of Jericho. It was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up 12 stones taken from the Jordan River. And then Joshua said to the Israelites, In the future your children will ask, What do these stones even mean? And then you can tell them, This is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground. For the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes and kept it dry until you were all across, just as he did at the Red Sea, when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. He did this so all the nations of the earth might know that the Lord's hand is powerful and so that you might fear the Lord your God forever. I don't know if you know this or not, but everyone in the room, we're going to experience death. Death does not care or is not concerned about your job title. Death is not concerned with your accolades Death is not concerned with your aspirations. Death is not concerned with what you want to accomplish or your goals. Death is not concerned with your bank account. Death is not concerned with your family. So here's the question that I have to ask you. What are you building now that will outlast you? What type of legacy are you truly leaving? Because it's human nature to try to build something for our lifetime. It's human nature for, for Zach to want to take care of his family here and now, but what am I building now that's going to outlast me? What are people going to say about me, and how are my, how's my family going to remember me when I'm gone? Listen, I know I'm young, I'm only 33 years old, but I think the problem that we have as humanity, as people, is that we don't start thinking about these things until we're further along in life. And the more years we have under our belt, the more we're looking back at to, as to the legacy that we're leaving. Man, what if we could all grasp that concept now, regardless of the age in the room? What are you building now that will outlast you? Ask yourself this question. How can we move from earthly success to kingdom significance? Too many people are concerned with earthly success. I want to be concerned with kingdom significance. I want to make sure that my daughters know how to follow Jesus. I want to make sure that I'm a good husband. I want to make sure that I'm a good friend. I want to make sure I'm there when people are hurting. What does kingdom significance look like opposed to earthly success? I mean, what type of altars are we building today that will empower the next generation to look towards the future? What type of altars are we building in our church, in our family, that will encourage people to truly know who God is? What type of altars are we building that will lead people to truly understand the power of the Word of God? We talk about Scripture. We talk about the Bible. But do you truly understand the power that you carry when you open up God's Word? What type of altars are we building for the next generation, allowing them to experience a true move of the Holy Spirit? What type of experience and altars are we building so that the next generation can truly tap into the dreams that God has placed inside of them, that they may become who God's called them to be? Because we're really good at telling stories about the power of the past. 
The older you are in the room, you know what I'm talking about. It starts something like this. Back in my day, I remember the good old days. Maybe you've been in church for a while and you say something like, I remember when the pastor used to wear a suit. Well, listen, that ain't happening, all right? I remember, clean shaven. Pastor got a beard going to hell. I know, right? Back, back in my day, I remember when we had church on Wednesday nights. Man, I remember Sunday, we were at church all day. I, I remember when. The problem is we can fixate so much on the past that we get stuck there. We can fixate so much on what God used to do or what God has done in our life that we don't focus on what God is doing or will do in the future. The power of the past is always meant to empower the future to reach more people for Jesus. The purpose of the past isn't to look back so that we can wish we were there. The purpose of the past is to remind us where we've come from, to encourage us to go even further. And when it comes to the Israelites, there were, there's three things that I want to focus on today. I want to focus on two rivers and the potential of an altar. What I know is this, we all have two rivers that we'll cross, and just like the Israelites did, and we'll see that correlation. But not all of us will create that final altar. Say, Zach, what are you talking about? Well, let's take a look at the past. Let's take a look at the Red Sea. And how does this correlate to us? What I know is this, we all have a past. We all have one. You wouldn't be here today. It's impossible for you to be here today without a past. We all have one. In the past, man, there's some good, there's some bad, and there's some ugly. In the past, there might be things or accolades that you like to share with other people. You like to tell about when you got married, or you like to tell about how your kids were born, or you like to tell about that friend in high school, or, or that one catch you made playing football in middle school that you haven't stopped telling people. Like you, We all have those stories that we like to tell, but, but I know this, if there's one side, there has to be the other, and we all have stuff that we've buried down deep within us. We all have the darkness that's in our souls that we don't want anyone to know about. In fact, we're, we try to convince ourselves that God doesn't even know about them. Uh, by the way, asterisk, he does. We try to convince ourselves. What I know is that in your past, man, there's good, there's bad, and there's ugly. Verse 23 says this, just as he did, he being God, at the Red Sea when he dried it up until we had all crossed over. So let's go back a few books, a few chapters. Let's remember the story of the Red Sea and how God delivered Israel from Egypt. Uh, there's no doubt about it that we all have a past. There are people that helped you get to where you are today. There are people that gave you guidance. There's, ex there's people that extended you wisdom. You made some really good decisions to get here today. But with those good decisions, we've all made really poor decisions to get us where we are today. I'm not exempt from that. I don't care if I have a microphone and the title of a pastor. I've made some really poor decisions to get to where I am today. We all have the good and we all have the ugly. But when we know the story of the Red Sea, when we know the story of our past, it will empower us to truly step into our future. I've told you my story a lot. I'm not going to dwell on it right now, but I've told you how I grew up. I told you that my dad was one of the biggest cocaine dealers in South Carolina, that he looked at 20 years in prison. I told you that my parents split. I told you that my childhood was a bit rough. But you know what I refuse to be? I mean, I refuse to be a negative statistic. I, I refuse to let the negativity bring me down. I refuse to play the victim. 
I refuse to let my past keep pulling me back and pulling me down. Could you imagine if the Israelites did that? Could you imagine for a moment if the Israelites went back to the Red Sea? Like they're wandering around in the wilderness and they're like, you know what? Let's actually go back to Egypt. And they go over to the Egyptians and they say something along the lines of, hey, um, I'm sorry about all the flies. Sorry about all the lotus. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry about the firstborn kids. You know, I'm sorry about, you know, all the things that God did in Egypt. Hey, hey, I know, I know God delivered us from y'all, but... Um, Hey, could we actually be put back in bondage? Could, could we actually be put back in slavery? Could we actually be back under your rule? That sounds like insanity to me, right? However, you and I do that day in and day out when we go back to what God has already delivered us from. God will deliver us from something in our past, and for some reason, we find our way making ourselves back or going back to what God delivered us from. I, I, I get this conversation a lot. You know, people will come to the altar and, and they'll pray, they'll lift their hands up or, Pastor, can you pray for me? And, and I'll pray for a certain situation or a certain circumstance. And they're like, I'm thankful that God delivered me. And then three to six months later, they're coming back to me like, Lord, or, or Pastor, like that thing's bringing me down again. Listen, if, Christ, if you believe that Christ's blood is enough to save you from your sin, then it has to be enough to sustain you through your sin. So it's not your sin that keeps bringing your, you down. It's your lack of faith that God has already delivered you from it. Now listen, now hear me. I know that things take process, and process is okay. However, don't give your thing that much power and authority in your life as if it's holding you from something that God's already delivered you from. We either believe in the power of God or we don't. We either, either believe in a restoration and redemptive process or we don't. Again, the process and the journey is a step-by-step, day-by-day moment. However, that thing will not bring you down unless you allow it to keep bringing you down. Stop making excuses for yourself. What about this person? You continually let your past uh, bring you down. Listen, again, I'll say it, I'll say it like this. I, I said it once, I'll say it again. If Christ's blood is enough to save you, then it has to be enough to sustain you. This will be on the screen. You can take a picture of it or take this note. You can't expect to break generational curses on your family if you don't start believing that they're already broken. Too many of us want to say, well, it's because of my parents. It's because of my past. It's because of what I grew up in. Yeah, yes, you are where you are because of all that. But guess what? You have the choice and the authority to break that nonsense off your life. My dad sold cocaine. That doesn't mean that I have to run around and do the same thing. I could use that excuse Oh, my parents used to fight all the time, so I'm, I, I, should get, I should fight with my wife. My parents are divorced, so I should be divorced. That's nonsense. I'm not going to be the negative statistic. Why? Because, yes, did all that stuff happen? Absolutely. But guess what? But God. But God. You either truly believe it or you don't. Let me give it to you this way. The structure of the way you see yourself is perfectly designed to give you the results you're getting from yourself. Say, Zach, what do you mean? If you keep telling yourself that you're no good, if you keep telling yourself you are who you are because of your past, if you keep telling yourself that you're, you're filled with fear, you're filled with failure, then you're going to start believing it. The biggest battle that you have to win is between your own two ears. So we have that first river of the past, and then we have the second. And where we find ourselves in this story is the Jordan River. It's, it's the present. 
Let me ask you this. What active steps of faith are you currently ta- taking? Again, I challenged everyone in the, re- in the room 14 days ago to step into 21 days of prayer and fasting. Some of you gave up coffee and social media. You changed your eating habits. Some of you decided to wake up a little earlier and to do your devotions. Other v- others of you decided to, to do them at night. And you wrote down those goals and what you wanted to see God through, do through those 21 days of prayer and fasting. And again, you got two or three days in, got a little shaky, and you just stopped. If you allow yourself to keep beating you down, then you're going to stay beaten down. You still got seven days. What if? What if everyone in the, in the room committed to being in the presence of God 15, 20, 30 minutes a day? And spending time with Jesus, what if you actually decided to pray and fast for the next seven days? That doesn't mean you got to give up all food. What if you got off social media for seven days? What if you gave up the coffee for seven days? What if you committed to getting up a little earlier and just 30 minutes earlier and doing a little devotional for the next seven days and watch God move in your life? So you have the two rivers. All of us have a past. All of us have a present and yes, we all have a future, but we're not all going to build an altar. Zach, what are you talking about? Let's take a look at Gilgal. Gilgal represents the future and the possibility of an altar. Gilgal, by definition, was a place of memorial. It's where the Israelites built their altar. The Israelites didn't build the altar at the Red Sea. The Israelites didn't build the altar in the middle of the Jordan River. Because this, this, this is why I believe this. When people build monuments to methods, we turn altars into idols and stop the move of God. Some of y'all are going to pick that up next Tuesday. I'm going to read it again for you. When we build monuments to methods, we turn altars into idols and stop the move of God. Sometimes we can look at the method that God uses to reach us or deliver us and start worshiping the method opposed to worshiping God. The Israelites could have put an altar in the middle of the Jordan River, in the middle of the Red Sea when the waters were parted. The waters were parted and that was just the method that God used to deliver the Israelites. The method wasn't the presence. We have to make sure that we don't get fixated on the method. Let me read verse 19 through 24 again then the people crossed over the Jordan on the 10th day of the first month and then they camped at Gilgal just east of Jericho it was there at Gilgal that Joshua piled up the 12 stones taken from the Jordan River and then Joshua said to the Israelites in the future your kids will ask what do these stones mean and then you can tell them this is where we see that generational component then you can tell them this is where the Israelites crossed the Jordan on dry ground for the Lord your God dried up the river right before your eyes, and he kept it dry until all were across, just as he did at the Red Sea, just as he did in your past. When he dried it up until they had all crossed over, he did this so the nations of the earth might know the Lord's hand is powerful. Leonard Ravenhill says this, he said, it is my conviction that the most glorious hour of the church has yet to be born. All the heroes of the faith have yet to be listed. All the chapters of the church have yet, have not yet to be written. The greatest exploits of the faith have yet to be done. That means you and I have work to do in the kingdom of God. That means you and I are called to advance the kingdom. How are we building an altar at Gilgal? How are you passing on what you've received to the next generation? I don't care the age you are in the room. How are you passing it on to the next generation? In churches, sometimes I think we can talk theology and We can talk about the Bible in this philosophical manner, but it's also important that we implement what we've read about in our day-to-day 
lives. So how do we take this thing practical? How do we build altars of generations? Well, Scripture is clear that we can start with spiritual heritage. Deuteronomy chapter 6, verse 7 says this, You shall teach your children, impressing God's precepts on their minds and penetrating their hearts with His truth, and shall speak of them when you sit in your house and when you walk on the road and when you lie down and when you get up. What does that mean? It means own your own home. Hey, parents in the room, take responsibility for passing on spiritual heritage and spiritual maturity to your kids. Don't rely on Sunday morning when you drop them off for an hour. Are you actively, are we actively talking about Jesus in our household? Zach, you're stepping on my toes. Why are you getting so aggressive this morning? Because if I don't, then we won't. And if we, if we don't share about Jesus in our own homes, then how are we supposed to do it in our communities? It's up to Zach Witt to tell Piper and Harlow, and, and it's up to Zach and Jenna to tell Piper and Harlow about Jesus. It's not up to any of y'all. It's not up to whoever's leading their class right now. And it's up to me. I have to take ownership. We have to take ownership for our own households. Then we have to pass on a good name. Proverbs chapter 22 verse 1 says, A good name is to be chosen rather than great riches, loving favor rather than silver or gold. Man, when I read this verse... When I was studying through this, I came up with this thought. What does it look like for me to teach Piper and Harlow what it means to carry the wit last name? How do I pass my name down to them? How are you passing your name down in your household? Maybe you don't have a family. Maybe you're single in the room. How are you carrying your own name right now? We can also pass down work ethic. First Thessalonians chapter 3 verse 10 through 13. Even while we were with you, we gave you this command. Those unwilling to work will not get to eat. Yet we hear that some of you are living idle lives, refusing to work and meddling in other people's business. Stay out of other people's business. We command such people and urge them in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ to settle down and work to earn their own living. As for the rest of you, dear brothers and sisters, never get tired of doing good work. One of the greatest lessons, man, I learned growing up was worth ethic, work ethic. Not because I wanted to learn it, but because my dad probably beat it into me. But man, I learned work ethic. I don't think we have a, an age problem in our society or a generational problem in our society. I think we have a work ethic problem in our society. We want stuff given to us when we want it, how we want it. Opposed to working for it. We can also pass down generational wealth. Proverbs chapter 13 verse 22 says this. A good man leaves an inheritance to his children's children. Hey, practically, practically some of us in the room need to get a will. I mean, I was convicted when I was writing my own sermon. I'm like, why are you doing this to me? I'm supposed to be bringing this to other people. Don't be convicting me. I don't know if you know this or not, but if you don't have a will and you have property, and you have items, and you have kids, and, and something happens to you and your spouse, you know who gets to determine where your stuff and where your kids go? It's the state. I don't trust the state. I don't know about you. I don't trust them. You think I'm kidding. Like, I literally, where is it? Hold on. I got a card from an attorney this morning so that I can create a will for my family. If you want to take a picture, come up later. I'm not giving you my card. You can take a picture of it. If you don't have a will, man, get one. 
Now, I'm going to be honest, building generational altars, man, it doesn't just happen. I want to give you a, a few other components I'll walk through quickly because they're important to know. But building generational altars, I've said it uh, once before, but I'll say again, it takes work. We see that in verse 5. Joshua chapter 4, verse 5. Go over before the ark of the Lord your God into the middle of the Jordan. Each of you is to take up a stone on his shoulder according to the number of the tribes of the Israelites. This morning, I had like 12 people stand up and I had them act like this was the, the Jordan River. Hey, you got to go down in the river and you have to bring out your stone. I actually had some sandbags I was going to bring. The problem was it was pouring down rain and I didn't want them to get soaking wet. But I had like some 200-pound sandbags, 150-pound sandbags, and I was going to get some people to, to move them. Uh, we're not going to do that. That's okay. But could you like, take some creative liberty for a second? Could you imagine the 12 individuals that were chosen to leave, lead their tribe and they had to wade down in the water? Maybe they were knee-deep. Maybe they were waist-deep. But I imagine... They had to be about chest deep to get to the big stones. Because these weren't some pebbles they were bringing out. Because they were cr creating an altar to God. So they had to get something that was substantial. Something that was larger. I almost imagine like, Keith, if me and you were chosen, I'd be like, hey bud, can you hang on to my ankle so I can go down, so I can grab it. So I don't like get washed away by the water. But they, they bring these stones out. And they have to throw them on their shoulder. And they have to carry them to dry ground. Man, it takes work. Some of us love the idea of working hard, but we don't put in the day in and day out hard work. Hard work is being there for your friends when they're really hurting. H hard work is stepping up to the plate when someone gets a bad doctor's report. Hard work isn't just sending a text one day and then never following up three weeks later. Hard work is the day in and the day out grind. But that's what it takes to impact generations it also takes story and communication. Verse 7 says this, Tell them that, they, that the flow of the Jordan was cut off before the Ark of the Covenant of the Lord. When it crossed the Jordan, the waters of the Jordan were cut off. And these stones are to be a memorial to the people of the favor of Israel. Here's the deal. We have to tell stories. We have to tell how we've overcome. Revelation chapter 12 verse 11 says, We overcome by the blood of the Lamb and the word of our testimony. There's no word unless we open our mouth. There, there's individuals in this room that, again, you've gone through stuff that you need to share because it will positively impact people. At the beginning of the year, I, I wrote this down in my journal, and I'll share it today, but I truly believe this is going to be a year of testimony for Multiply Lake Norman. This is going to be a year of us sharing stories. Because we're not meant to experience the presence of God or experience the move of God in our life so we can hold it and hoard it. It's meant so we can share it with others. That's why we share stories like Samaritan's Feet. That's why we share stories like the locations that we planted today as Multiply Family. It also takes community. If we read verse 8 through 10, what we see is we see the tribes of the Israelites, we see the priest, and we see Joshua. But that's why community is important. That's why the church is important. That's why serving is important. That's why getting in a group is important. Don't be the person that doesn't give this thing a fair shake. Again, don't be the person, ah, I never found community. It's because you never got involved. Listen, I'll own my junk. If it was my fault, it was my fault. If I'm preaching heresy, leave quickly. But if you're not taking the active steps to get plugged in and to dive into community, then don't blame the community. 
Again, I'll say it like this. The current structure of your life is perfectly designed to give you the outcome that you're getting. I just haven't connected with anybody in the church. Yeah, you show up five minutes late and you're the first one to leave. You want to get to know people in the church? Then show up and hang out in the lobby. Grab a cup of coffee. I'm not trying to hurt your toes this morning. I'm just trying to wake you up. All right? I'm not beating you up. I'm just waking you up. If you agree with everything that the pastor ever says at any church, don't go back. I'm convicting myself right now. I got to be in the lobby to get to know you. Not because I'm the pastor, but because I'm a person and I need community around me. Number four, it takes grit and it takes fight. The men of Reuben and Gad and the half-tribe of Manasseh crossed over ready for battle in front of the Israelites as Moses had directed them. About 40,000 armed for battle crossed over before the Lord to the plains of Jericho for the war. Now, now this, is what, this is what catches my attention in this story. If you know anything about Reuben, Gad, and Manasseh, they actually got their inheritance on the other side of the Jordan. So they didn't, the story tells us they didn't have to cross over Jordan to inherit their land. Their inheritance was where they were coming from. They had a bunch of livestock. That land was, was great for raising livestock. So God gave them that land. They weren't outside the will of God. That's where God wanted them. But what did they do after they got their inheritance? They set up shop and didn't help anybody else. No. They were concerned about their own lives. No. What did they do? They crossed over the Jordan first. Not only did they cross over the Jordan first, they were already ready for battle. Who were they fighting for? They were fighting for their brothers and their sisters. Not only were they fighting, but they were leading the way. They were leaving behind what God had promised them so that they could fight for someone else's life. I think that's one of the most important things that we can do as Christ followers is fight for someone else. That we don't pack it in, that we don't give up, that we don't say, you figure it out, come back to me when you got all your junk in order. One of the biggest things that we can do is cross over the Jordan with them and fight along beside them. Maybe your marriage almost ended, but God intervened, and now it's your turn to lead others. Maybe maybe you started a business, and, and your business almost failed, but, but God intervened, and now it's your turn to step in and help others. Maybe. And maybe you're in the room, and you had a miscarriage, and you were filled with pain and hurt that you've never experienced before, but God intervened, and now it's your turn to lead the way for others. But it also takes the power of God. Verse 24, he did this so that all the peoples of the earth might know that the hand of the Lord is powerful. Many people understand the first four components. Organizations understand the first four components. Gyms understand the first four components. The first four are easy. It takes work, sharing stories. Yeah, we want to we work hard on this thing. We want to share stories. It takes community. We have to all be together. It takes a little bit of grit. And it takes a little bit of fight. But we cannot and will not as a church and as a community think that we can make it through life without the power and presence of God. The first four are, are nonsense without the power and the presence of God. I, I don't know about you, but... And I'm willing to do anything for my girls. I'm willing to do anything for my family. Maybe your parents in the room and, and you're willing to do anything for your family. Hey, maybe you don't have kids or you have a significant other. You would do anything for that significant other. You would do anything for that best friend, regardless of the season of life that you're in. 
maybe you're the college students and you're like, man, I would do anything for the person sitting beside me. I would do anything for my roommate. You, you, would, do, you would do absolutely everything for them. Why? Because you want them to fully step into their future and fully step into everything that God has for them. I'm going to tell on myself uh, a little bit. You can judge me. That's okay. I'm open for, for judgment. Just judge me to my face. Don't judge me behind my back. But this past week, I rewatched a movie uh, called Fury. Anybody watched Fury before with Brad Pitt? War movie? We'll have a counseling session later. We can all confess our sins to each other. But man, I watched, I watched Fury. And there's a moment in the movie where, where Brad Pitt, like their communication system goes down. They're kind of like sitting in the water dead. And they're going around kind of the tank and they had just made it out of this battle and they were, they're kind of flustered. They're like, whew. Shia Buff's character, he says this, he said, God didn't call our ticket today, boys. And you can, you can see on their face, imagine World War II, you know, fighting the Nazis, they're in this tank and they're up against the enemy and you can just imagine all of the emotions. And one of the characters, kind of trembling a little bit and shaking, says, man, it's the best job I ever had. And they go around the tank. Ryan, what do they say? Best job I ever had. Listen, when I'm in the fight with somebody, when I'm in the trenches with somebody, it's not easy. It hurts. It's painful. I know. When we're walking through the day-to-day seasons of our life, I know it can be difficult sometimes, but sharing the love and the grace and the forgiveness of Jesus, guess what? It's the best job I've ever had. I signed up for it. I'm not going to back down. And if I'm honest with you, I'm tired of the enemy trying to pick off good men and women. I'm tired of the enemy trying to pick off Christ followers. There's a lot of stuff I do wrong. There's a lot of qualities that I lack as a pastor, but there's a few things I don't like. I don't like grit, I don't like passion, and I don't like fight. Church, I don't know about you, but it's time for us to rally together. It's time for us to say, not on our watch. It's time for us to kick the enemy in the the mouth to expand the kingdom of God and continue to share that God is merciful. God is faithful. God is still in control. I don't know about you, but I'm ready to stay in the fight.